On today's episode of the Guild of Dads podcast, I'm joined by Sarah Davison, also known as The Divorce Coach. Sarah and I discuss why changing the dynamic of your relationship can heal your relationship even when seemingly impossible and headed towards divorce. We also discuss how to build self-reliance and independence in the aftermath of separation and divorce and the importance of being fully independent in your own self-identity before embarking upon another serious relationship or even second marriage. Hi, I'm Joe Horton and this is Guild of Dads. Hey, you over there. Yeah, I can see you. Come over. Sit down and join me as I'm about to have a conversation about you. A conversation about what it means to be a dad, a role model and to live a life of meaning. About your physical health, how you look after yourself, contribute to the world around you and raise our next generation. A conversation that will shape the vision you have for yourself. Forever. Thanks for joining me today on Guild of Dads, the podcast for dads looking to expand and level up their knowledge in all areas of being a father. Tackling some of the most relevant subjects applicable to men, the conversations we have will be thought-provoking, inspirational and make you laugh and possibly even cry. Covering everything from relationships to health to divorce and death, if it's something you may face as a dad, we've got it covered. I hear a lot from dads that they have all the material things that should be making them happy in 2020, but that there is something lacking. And on Guild of Dads, we're looking to give you all the information you need to really start thinking about a vision for yourself going forward, and one on which you can take action and find meaning. This is a much needed conversation right now, as many dads feel lost and are hungry for information to make some much needed changes and improvements. If that's you, then Guild of Dads is the place for you. Sarah Davison is best known as a divorce coach and a best-selling author of the book Uncoupling, How to Survive and Thrive After Breakup and Divorce. She has 20 years experience of coaching and has been through divorce herself and now uses the skills she has learned to help others. She's also the creator of breakup recovery retreats which have been described as transformational. Sarah has featured in numerous print and TV media such as Stella, The Daily Mail, The Sun, The Telegraph, The Times, Marie Claire and TV3's Heartbreak Hotel. And now for my conversation with Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to have you along speaking to us today and we're going to be speaking about something which is not always spoken about that much amongst certainly the uh, dads community, but I know it's something that uh, a lot of dads go through and causes them a massive amount of turmoil, and that is a subject of divorce. Mm, absolutely. Well, I mean, 42% of marriages in the UK end in divorce, so there is a lot of it around. Um, but the good news is it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. It just depends how you cope with it, and that's what we're going to talk about, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
when people are first going through the divorce, it won't have happened in isolation. It will be a surprise to the people around them because nine times out of 10, people are trying to deal with this stuff behind kind of closed doors and typically maybe family stroke friends may not know the kind of full picture or just how bad things are but obviously when it actually kind of is uh, announced that it's going to happen everyone is all of a sudden involved and I would imagine there's a whole raft of emotions that kind of come with that what are people typically going through in those first you know a few days and weeks when the when the kind of bomb hits so to speak well it's interesting because usually one partner is a little bit further ahead than the other so, for example, if it's you that's decided to leave, you've probably been working at this for quite a long time. And it might be that you've been discussing it with your partner behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So you've tried, maybe you've tried to fix things, maybe you've talked about things. Maybe your partner hasn't been that willing to make many changes, so you've been doing it on your own. But it might, well, I usually see in my coaching clinic when people come to me in this situation that one of them is much further ahead than the other. So usually the person that's decided to to say, look, I've had enough, I can't take this anymore, we've got to go our separate ways, they're a little bit further ahead than the other person. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. So that's where the bombshell comes or when people sort of say, gosh, I didn't know and she's just announced she's leaving me. Yeah, that can be tough. Or, you know, I'm going to sell her tomorrow, I'm leaving. But actually consciously be aware, are they on the same page as you? And if not, that's going to have quite a big effect. So what I would say is try and have a, a communication before you get to that point, if you can, because you can save marriages. You can't improve relationships just by improving the way you communicate with each other. And I mean, there's so many different ways we communicate. There's the five languages of love. I'm sure, Joe, you've heard that, right? Where Gary Chapman created this concept where sometimes we communicate with each other, but we're talking different languages. So, for example, he says there's five different languages of love. One is... Do you know these, Joe? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Should I test you? (laughs) So one is uh, words of appreciation. So saying, you know, you look nice, darling, or I love you, something that is actually a verbal thing. Second one is physical touch. So holding hands when you're walking down the road or giving someone a cuddle. If that's how you show your love for them, that's your language of love. Then it might be acts of service, which is quite common more generally with men, actually. So that could be... um, making breakfast in bed on a Sunday or washing the car or taking the dogs for a walk or, you know, putting the washing on or whatever. Um, Then there is quality time. So if you show your love by, if you feel loved by being around your partner um, without phones, without kids, just you and them. And then there's gifts. So, you know, it doesn't have to be the latest Prada handbag, although it can be nice, but but it's just something that is thoughtful, you know, that you've just picked up on the way home because, you know, it's going to make them smile. So, you know, there's different ways we show our love, but the the challenge is if you're in a relationship with someone and it's on the rocks, it probably is that you're talking different languages. So, for example, maybe you're showing, for example, your wife how much you love her by cleaning the car on a Sunday morning. But to her, she's like, well, of course he's cleaning the car. This doesn't make me feel loved. I want him to tell me. Maybe that isn't something you feel comfortable doing. So there's a disconnect. Even though you both have feelings and love each other, you're not communicating in the right way. So that can cause the downfall of a relationship. So it's important to think about these things before you make that announcement or before it gets to the point where your partner turns around and says, I've had enough. Because if you're just more aware of those things, you can take control and then do something differently. You can communicate better. You can then start trying to say you love more. You love them more. Maybe if that's what they need to hear, or they can start to realise that when you're cleaning the car, it actually does mean you care. 
so it changes the dynamic of the relationship. Once that starts to shift, it is you can save it. You can turn things around. So, I mean, that's just one thing you can do to do it, but that is something that's important. So that, you know, as you, the question you asked me was what happens when you, you get that announcement? Well, then it it is known as the second most traumatic experience we go through after the death of a loved one. So divorce is a tough, traumatic experience, and it is never going to be a walk in the park. However amicable it is, there will always be difficulties when you come to splitting up finances and custody of the kids and, you know, just two lives that have been entwined. So, it, you know, it does cause a lot of trauma. So it's something that you absolutely have to think very carefully about. And in my opinion, do everything you can to see if there's a way that you can save it, turn it around. Maybe you can make it even better. And if you can't, well, then at least you know and you've tried. So you leave with no regrets, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. And how much of part of that process do you find is uh, wrapped up in the actual identity? Because obviously before you get married, you have separate identities. Then when you get married, you still have separate identities, but they kind of blend together, so to speak. And then obviously as you reach that point where you can see that there's a prospect that a relationship could end, then you're having to kind of detach your identities a little bit. That's kind of that's kind of almost a double-edged sword because I've seen it with some guys who, uh, in a lot of guys, in a lot of cases, where they kind of, where there is that kind of detachment of identities. Sometimes when they feel that the relationship has actually reached a point where it's kind of going to end, where they are able to 100% kind of begin to focus on themselves, mm. that bizarrely, and this is kind of a really weird thing for people and particularly guys to get their head around that when once they start start focusing on themselves and they're not hanging on every word of their partners stuff starts to improve because they're not trying to they're not trying to creep they're not trying to crawl they're not trying to put pressure on their partner to to fix things mm. um it, it almost becomes a little bit more organic they still have to do the whole love language love languages thing and all the other good stuff that comes with that but quite often it as as they begin to kind of work on themselves, it it kind of begins to all of a sudden resurrect the relationship in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know when you start to look at yourself and not be so dependent on your partner, it frees up lots of opportunities. Quite often, yeah, it is normal to be codependent in a relationship. I mean, you have to be. You know, right? you take the bins out and I'll do this. You know, it kind of is a, a two way street. It has to be give and take. In fact. I was in a taxi yesterday in London and there was one of those cabbies who just wanted to talk. And I was like, I've got loads of work to do. And he's like, I want to talk. And he was saying he'd been mad for 45 years. And I was like, so I always ask the question, so what's the secret then? What's the secret? And he said, it's give and take. He said, you've got to give and take. And that's true. You do have to give and take. And that's how relationships work. So there's a difference between, you know, you prefer, I don't know, Chinese takeaways. She prefers Indian but you have more Indian because it's easier. She likes it. It makes her happy. Okay, that's flexibility. But where those where flexibility and compromises become sacrifices, that's the difference. That's the turning point where suddenly it starts to have a long term effect, maybe on your confidence, on your happiness, you know, on your self esteem. Because if you've always got to self check against someone, if you haven't, if you're losing those self reliance muscles where you make decisions on your own. You know, it can make you, um, it can have long lasting consequences on you as a person. So if you do come to break up and you've been in one of those 
slightly toxic relationships where you've been walking on eggshells or you haven't been free to make your own decisions, that is a bit of a learning curve to get through because you've suddenly got to be able to start to build that self-reliance muscle. And the quickest way to do that is instead of running to people to ask for answers, which is what I see a lot of my clients in the early days doing, like, oh, what do I do now? How do I do this? is to build a breakup support team around you, people that can do the things that you're not great at so that you can get that advice and support. But also ask yourself first before you pick up the phone and ask your mate, like, okay, well, what, what do I think I should do in this situation? What's the best way to get a solution to this? Or, uh, and then at least you're training yourself to think for yourself. Still pick up the phone and ask your friend if you need that sense check or an expert in whatever it is that you need help with. But start to build that self-reliance yourself because that's the fastest way to start to build your confidence back up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and when you were just talking about, I just had a kind of insight as you were talking about there about kind of when things are going astray and stuff. The th- I think an important point to make there, particularly when you've got kids, is that sometimes you're just absolutely exhausted. Both of <laughs> you are exhausted. And yeah. trying to think straight and trying to resolve stuff when you're at when you're both particularly with very young children when you're both absolutely exhausted is a hard is a hard thing in itself and it's and it's recognizing that you need maybe some time out time your partner needs some time out time and when I say time out time I don't mean like um, they're in another room and you're in this room it means letting them go to the gym for a couple of hours and not ringing them when they're at the gym so they're 100% off duty and the same and the same for you so you have that that space and and time to think rather than kind of being in each other's pockets all the time you know what I mean absolutely I think as human beings we we need time on our own you know we do need time to recharge and whether that's just sort of going for a walk going to the gym just doing something we love reading a book just need a bit of downtime rather than being constantly interrupted because you have so many pressures as a parent and working usually might be an employee or employer you know you've got kids you're a brother you're a dad you're a mother you're a sister you know we've all got all these multiple roles we we play and sometimes you just need to be you mm. like without the pressures and the responsibilities just you because that's what recharges our batteries and quite often when I see clients they say yeah but that feels selfish actually feels selfish because I've got a list of things that she wants me to do or he wants me to do and if I just sit down and put She's going to come in and go, ah, you need to be doing this. How can you be reading a book? Oh, I haven't got time to read a book. So, again, it's important to do it, but you've got to kind of work together. Because if you suddenly say, this is my me time, feet up, <laughs> read a book, it's going to cause problems. So you need to communicate and say, look, you know, you need time, I need time. What do you want to do? Okay, and I want to do this. So can we agree, even if it's 15 minutes a week, that I get to do this and you get to do your thing and this is the rules. So I think... It's a great idea, but you've got to make sure you're communicating with your partner, not just saying, oh, no, this is my me time. I've, I heard on a podcast, I've got to go do this, though. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, yeah. but that comes, I mean, I'm not going to go too much off on the tangent on this, but that comes back to agreeing what your roles are as well, doesn't it? So, okay, you're, you're doing this, I'm doing this, this is the time for doing this, and having that kind of clearly defined so that, so that, so that there's not that conflict over, hang on a minute, I thought you were meant to be doing this when I'm doing and then it just all goes to pot and th- then you kind of, then then there's, then there's an arkiness and then there's kind of resentment and all, all that <laughs> yeah, kind of good stuff. It comes down to communication, I think. Yeah. It does come down to communication. And even when you're going through a breakup, I think if you're about to go through a breakup and it's 
as amicable as it can be at this point, the best thing to do is just to set some ground rules because I can tell you the most amicable of breakups and divorces get heated when you start talking about finances and children and dating other people. You know, it can all go off like a volcano at a second's notice. So actually, if you get a chance while it's amicable to set some ground rules, and they would be, we're going to be kind to each other and we're going to be respectful because kindness and respect are two things that are lacking in a lot of divorces. And it needs to be both parties. You know, if one person can do it with the best intent, and I would say always do the right thing, even if your ex isn't doing that. But in order for it to be the best it can be, you both need to be doing that. You both need to be respectful. You both need to be kind and be thinking, look, it is still give and take. It is still, okay, well, you can have the painting and I'll have the piano. You know, it has to be give and take. Mm. When it gets to like this and no one's budging, that's when it gets really difficult. And it doesn't need to be. Yeah. So that's important to bear in mind. Yeah. And I think the other point as well, to, uh, to just touching on, touching on what you've just said, is the more you can keep it amicable as well, the more you can agree stuff without the need to have lawyers involved and to have courts involved. Because because if you can agree stuff yourself, then there is, uh, with the with the exception of actually getting your divorce paperwork sorted, there is very little need to have the courts involved in the contacts and finances if you can if you can agree it yourself. So it's in your it's in your long term financial interest to try and agree it yourself as well as just the interest of the children being amicable and stuff. So th- there is a there is another reason why it's a good idea to to keep things am- amicable as well, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, the costs can spiral out of all control. And the important thing is to work out what you want and to work out what is fair. And you might need legal advice to work out what that is because, you know, if you've not been divorced before, you maybe don't know the law so well. So it's all right to get the legal advice to understand what is fair and then hopefully you can agree that between the two of you. And, mm. you know, if you can, that's great. If you can't, well, then, you know, still be kind and respectful throughout that process as much as you can be. Because, mm. you know, ultimately, at the end of it, the, the financial settlement will be done. And you guys will have to, you know, if you don't have kids, you may never have to see each other again. If you do, then that's important, isn't it? So mm. you've got to manage that relationship and nurture it knowing that and that's something you can communicate about up front look even if it gets tough let's just say we'll get through it we'll be as kind as we can but even if the wheels fall off we're still going to come back together at the end of this and and our goal is to you know co-parent together happily or you know get on as friends yeah and be amicable yeah yeah and in the like we touched upon this briefly as well in the kind of immediate aftermath when you've when the kind of decisions have been made what what is usually the kind of the biggest you know the real biggie that kind of causes the most turmoil for people is it is it is it the children or the finances or is it just the whole the whole thing just you know hitting them at once sort of thing yeah i think it's about understanding each other because everyone's different so for example i don't know say for example um one person has worked all their life and the other person hasn't so much then obviously that can cause tensions when it comes to dividing the pot 50-50, which is UK law. Mm. Um, and, you know, some mothers are super attached to their kids maybe, and that's, they're going to find that hard, especially if it wasn't their decision to leave. And I think, you know, you've got to understand that. And if you can understand where your ex is coming from because you know them, then maybe there's a way of doing it rather than saying, because their fear, therefore, will be they're going to take all my money or they're going to take my child away. So 
So how about doing it in a way where, for example, with the child, you could say, look, you know, obviously I want to spend time with them, but you can FaceTime them. And, you know, if you want me to bring them back a bit early for the first couple of times, I will, or you can call me. Or you know, make it as easy as possible mm. by understanding your ex rather than saying, I'm entitled to this, that's what I need. You know, it's about finding ways to do it in a gentle way. You don't have to be harsh. You don't have to be draconian. You can do it in a way that's, you know, I'm saying, look, you know, I'm going to support you financially, but obviously life's going to change for both of us. So let's talk about how we can do that in a way that doesn't, you know, is give and take for both of us. So there are ways of doing it. So I don't know if you've seen The Marriage Story, which is one of the most horrific films I've ever seen on Netflix. It's about a couple that were relatively ample with the son. They decided to split and then they got lawyers in and they literally ripped them apart. And I know a lot of family lawyers have said, well, that, that's just ridiculous. My experience is pretty much how it goes. So, you know, I think you've got to be, not all lawyers, but some of them can make things a lot worse. So picking yeah. a lawyer is really important because there are some lawyers that are pit bulls. And if you take them on as your law firm, you are going to get an aggressive, feisty lawyer who's going to send very you know, difficult, threatening, bullying letters in some cases. Um and then if you choose an amicable lawyer, you know, there's some that are designed just to help you mediate and go through it in a very amicable way, then that sets the tone. So also you've got to think very carefully about who you're instructing if you are going to, to take legal advice. Yeah. And an actual fact, what I'm I'm gonna give a bit of advanced disclosure to listeners. I did uh, legal training when I kinda of, when I was probably about probably about fifteen, twenty years ago. So I do have a little bit of knowledge about how this works. And what I do, uh, sorry, is I know there is i'm sure there is an organization i think it was the solicitors family law association it could be i'll double check it but i'll link it up in the show notes uh for anyone that's listening because i'm pretty sure that there is a a body which has accredited family lawyers so what you're getting is someone that is experienced in a more conciliatory way of doing things rather than an adversarial way of doing things which as sarah just said can exacerbate things a lot because what happens is it just inflames the situation and is hell-bent on making more fees rather than actually coming to an agreement which is helpful for everyone so I'll, I'll i'll do my little bit of research and i'll link that up i'll link that up um so so people have got that one thing i was going to mention as well is how much do outside uh, forces play a part in this because obviously people are going to be have their own view of how they want to do things but then they might have a friend or whatever who's saying to them Oh, I got divorced. You you want to show them who's boss, and you don't want to do this. And you don't want to. Do... Does that really? Does that tend to inflame stuff as well? Because we've all been in that situation where you've got a friend in there in your ears going, "Yeah, you need to do this. You need to do this," and you're just like, "This is kind of it's too much," and then you end up making a rash decision. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, in my clinic just before Christmas, I had a woman turn up for a first session, and she said, "Oh, um, her partner had left and gone off with someone and moved in and." She knew that he had a girlfriend and her best friend had turned up with a big pair of shears. And she said, come on, let's go upstairs and let's get his stuff and chop it all up. And then she said, I've got bin bags in the back. She said, she's quite pleased with herself. You know, I'm going to take it all around to his house and just dump it now outside the flat and your girlfriend can see it. And, you know, this is her, one of her good friends that means well, but she's so emotionally engaged with it that she's giving advice that is not, you know, positive, the long-term consequences of those actions. Um, so it's about choosing who you listen to carefully um, because there's going to be a lot of people that are emotionally involved in your breakup. 
maybe it's their you know daughter-in-law or son-in-law or really good friend or maybe they trusted them and then they've done something to you and they feel bad maybe they introduced you you know so everyone has their own stuff they're going to put on your situation so whilst it's nice to be around people that are saying yeah she was really mean to you she was around kind that helps but actually if you're going to take some action off the back of it you've got to really think carefully and make sure that you're getting the best expert advice and if you're going to choose a friend to listen to choose someone who's not so emotionally involved in your story someone that you respect that is going to have your best interest in the long term at heart mm-hmm. yeah and i think for, for what i take from that is that when you're deciding on a course of action it's got to be what is the end result of this where, where is this going what is the end result of what i'm going to embark upon right now going to be because obviously if you're going to decide that you're going to you know cut up all your ex uh, ex-wife or ex-husband's uh, clothes the end result of that is just going to be more contention more uh, emotion more stress rather than yeah. rather than kind of taking a lot more uh, again conciliatory way of doing things sort of thing and it's and I know it, I, I know I know it's hard and and people from a legal background all hear about the kind of the term reasonable reasonableness and I know when uh, when I used to be working in the law it was I, I would always be speaking to clients in terms of look what your uh, behavior may in the future at some point be viewed by a courtroom and you want the court to be looking at your behavior and saying actually here is a reasonable dad or a reasonable mum that cares for their kids and he's working and he's doing stuff in their best interests mm-hmm. um, rather than someone who's just be- just like a car crash moving from catastrophe to catastrophe <laughs> and just looks like someone that you really do not want to uh, uh, <laughs> award anything in their favour whatsoever. And I've seen that, ha- I've seen that happen where, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've seen a dad sitting in court before, you know, and they've been exemplary, they've turned up for contact on time they've you know been sort of outstanding and there's been a uh, mum on the other side who has just been placing so many difficulties in their way at every single step and the and the judge has been highly commendable of the of the father but I've conversely I've seen it the other way around as well so you know it goes it goes both ways but the point is is your behavior could well be judged at some point in the future if you want to go down the silly route so to speak so Do you want to get involved with a community of other dads who are looking to develop themselves? To continue the conversations we have here on this podcast in a place for dads only that fosters brotherhood, camaraderie and personal growth, then we have just the place for you. At the Guild of Dads Facebook group, you can connect with other dads on a similar journey, share experiences, offer support and seek support. Most of all, you can get some accountability in your own journey and get involved with the discussions and topics that every dad faces. So look us up on Facebook, join up and get involved with the discussion. Looking forward to seeing you in the Guild so you can start your journey with us today. Well, that's why my motto is always do the right thing. Hmm. And that's not always the easy thing. In fact, it's very likely to be the hardest thing. Um, but do the right thing. Think about it. You know, is this the right thing? It might feel good. It might feel really good to go and get the shears out and chop up all her clothes or whatever. Um but is it the right thing to do? No. So ultimately, it's about learning to control your emotions, I suppose, um, and not just go with 
what's happening in the moment. You've got to take a step back, breathe, think, okay, now I feel like that. Let me sleep on it or let me give it five minutes or, or let me rewatch a podcast or something just to take my mind off it. And then, okay, now how do I feel? Okay, I'm still upset. I'm still pissed off. Yeah, but actually this isn't the way to vent it. I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go for a run or whatever you, you do to get rid of that aggression. You've got to find better coping strategies that can distract you, whether it's phoning your mates and going out, whether it's um, five star jumps just to instantly change your mood. Um, something, you know, you've got to find things that are going to change your state very quickly so that gives you a bit of perspective. And unfortunately, there is no magic wand to take away all the pain because you're human and breakups are really tough. Um, and whether you want it or not, it can throw all sorts of curveballs on your life, like lifestyle, financial pressures, not seeing your kids as much as you might want to. And it's about about how do you cope with that? You know, how do you how do you as a human being step up and who do you want to become in life? Do you want to be the person that's moaning about your breakup, making things difficult, dragging your feet? Or do you want to be the person that says, you know what? Sometimes life doesn't work out the way you want it to, but actually that's okay. And this as a parent is a great lesson to teach any child that, you know, divorce, people say, oh gosh, divorce damages kids. I'm not a believer of that. It can, absolutely, but it depends on the parents. And if the parents are, are, at least one parent is doing the right thing and showing the right way to do things. And that, yes, sometimes the wheels fall off and you don't get the fairy tale ending that you dreamed for, you wanted, you hoped for. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. But actually what can happen is, yes, I felt sad. Yes, as a parent, you feel sad, you go through difficulties. But what did mommy or daddy do? Well, they dusted themselves down, they picked themselves up and they went on and created a life where they're even happier. Mm. So what does that child learn? Your child is learning then that, okay, sometimes things don't work out the way you want them to. You won't get into college. Someone will lie to you. Someone will let you down. Someone will betray your trust. But that doesn't mean that's the end of the world. You can regroup. You can get up and you can carry on because I saw dad do it. I saw mum do it. That is that is a valuable life lesson for children in a day and age where mental health is such a crisis point right now where suicide rates for teenagers is going through the roof. Because they think, oh, well, life hasn't worked out. Like these Love Island kids, love hasn't, what, life hasn't worked out the way I wanted it. I've got some money pressures, or I didn't get the, the show that I wanted, or they're doing better than me. Okay, well, there's no point living anymore. But that, you know, if you've got a parental role model that is showing you that sometimes life is really tough, but you dig deep, mm. you get up, and you keep going, that's the important bit. That's the bit that you, you can give your kid a life lesson that you as a role model, you know, as the parent, by your actions can show them. Yeah, even if it's, well, what are you doing? I'm doing five star jumps. Why, Daddy? Well, because I feel sad today, because you acknowledge it, you don't stuff it, you don't hide it, you don't go out drinking. I mean you can, but like, you know, it's not the healthy way to go. But you know, I'm I'm doing five star jumps. Why? Because it makes me feel happy, it changes my mood. Try it. You know, and you'll be so surprised. Like my son came home when he was six. So I got divorced when my son was one. I had to do a lot of star jumps in the first few years of that breakup. This is a tough, tough breakup. How many? And how many? How many exactly? Would you say? Yeah. Well, I was like twenty stone on a side. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, I find it a really effective technique because it just completely jars you. Now, you can't necessarily do it on the train, but if you're at home and you're having a bad moment, you can do it. And um, my son knew that I used to do the star jumps, and so he was at school one day and he came home. He was six, and he said. 
mommy, I was playing with Charlie today in the playground and we were playing It, which is the game of the moment. And uh, he said, and then Charlie fell over and he started crying. He hurt his knee and he didn't want to play. And I said, Charlie, come on. He goes, no, I feel sad. I don't want to play. So well, you feel sad. Well, then do the thing to cheer you up. And Charlie said, what? What is that? And my son turned to him and said, you know, put your chin up, put a big smile on your face. And if that doesn't work, five star jumps. And my son turned to his mummy. He didn't even know that. And I was like, yeah, kind of unusual with the old technique. And he said, oh, he said, so he stood up and he did it. And he goes, oh, it really works. And my son was like, of course it works. Come on. He says, and then he played me for the rest of the day, mummy. But Charlie didn't even know that. And I was like, it's really interesting what you don't know they're absorbing as kids because they pick up on everything. Yeah. So instead of just, you know, trying to shield them from it go i'm not sad i'm fine i'm fine i'm happy i'm happy i'm happy when a kid knows you're not really happy the best thing to do is acknowledge yes sometimes i feel sad but when i feel sad and then you give them the coping technique so they can use it i put a smile on my face or i play this music or i do a little funny dance or i pull a face or five star jumps and all of a sudden you find that they're doing it because they've seen you do it and they go oh that's what you do so as a young child you're learning all this which would be very useful for most adults, right? If, if we knew all this when we were kids, we could dial down our negative emotions in a heartbeat. You know, we'd be in a much stronger position, I think. Yeah. So it is a gift if you can turn it as a parent. Divorce can be a, an incredibly valuable life lesson for children. But, yeah. you know, even when things don't work out, it's okay and you can turn it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's installing that resilience and that and that that ability to see the see the positive in a negative situation and i think that i've seen this a few times with i think i think that sometimes sometimes dads find it difficult to uh, picture in their head the they need a f- kind of frame of reference and i've noticed quite a few dads who are kind of on uh, second marriages they've they, they've said to me well, what I did was I kind of, I looked at it as version one or marriage one, marriage two, but it, it, it was kind of like a, it was like an upgrade to their operating system. <laughs> so the way they looked at it was that, okay, things haven't worked out well here. I did make mistakes, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to build an independent life for myself. I'm going to find out what interests me so that I'm not kind of dependent on someone else. And then what I'm going to do is when I'm ready, if and when, then then somebody will, somebody will come into my life and I will be independent, but I'll be on a lot more level footing and yeah. and and a lot more kind of straight than I was the first time around. And the way they kind of visualize this is kind of marriage point one, marriage point two sort of thing. So on the basis that things didn't work out, but I'm going to make sh- I'm going to make damn sure that I'm going to get myself straight so that next person that comes along I'm gonna I'm gonna be a real catch, and that's not from a like a, a point of view of saying I'm just gonna make myself so great for the next person to come along. It's actually coming from a point of view of I'm gonna make myself independently happy, so that Ooh. when someone comes in, they are coming in as a, an ad, an addition to that, rather than I'm dependent on that person coming into my life. Yeah. and it's a subtle difference, and and I know it's I know I know a lot of guys who have kind of gone into marriage point two kind of with that mindset carrying through and in actual fact they've had they're enjoying absolutely smashing second marriages as a result because it's just that subtle shift in the way they look at things you know what I mean 
Yeah, I think you can't look for someone to fi- fix the gaps in you. And yeah. that's one of the things I see in my, my clients who come in. And bless them, they're so vulnerable because they're just going in that, in that first rose of the breakup. One of the biggest human fears is being alone, right? And I was like, I never want to be alone. So they do what? They have two criteria for finding a new partner. One is they have a pulse. <laughs> and two is they show them one sign of affection. And that is enough. That's a recipe for limpet mode where they just attach themselves to that person and say, never leave me. I'm going to be okay. And that that is a recipe for disaster. So, yeah, if you can take some time out and actually go on a just voyage of discovery of your own self-identity, who you are now, because who you are now is when you're single now, so, for example, when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, very different to the person you are, especially when you're, like, 20s, 30s. So we change, you know, and what we want, you know. I mean, I used to love rollerblading when I was in my 20s. When I was in my 30s, late 30s, when I was getting my divorce, I tried rollerblading and I was just terrified I was going to hurt myself. It was a whole different experience. So it wasn't who I was anymore. So I had to find a new hobby. Hmm. So it's about trying to figure out what makes you tick, who you are, what's at your core, but also what you need from a partner. Because what we tend to do when we think about our next partner is what do we want? Oh, I know what I want. Blonde, blue eyes, tall, dark, handsome, whatever it is. We know what we want, but what do you need? Because if you're in a relationship where it didn't work out because maybe um, you need someone who can express their feelings more and and your partner was very shut down or or, you, or or you're the other way around, maybe you're someone that doesn't like to talk about emotions, so you don't want to be with someone who demands that you talk about your emotions all the time, you need to find someone that matches you because you need to be, to be happy in a relationship you don't want to be put under pressure to express emotions that's not something you feel comfortable doing. So you need to find someone who's okay with different ways of communicating that. So these are things that are critical, which you learn on that journey when you take time out to learn to love yourself and accept yourself for who you are. Because you're great just the way you are. You don't need anything else. Mm. But you do need to understand how this works. And if you understand, then you can get the remote controls of your brain and say, right, I know that in a relationship to increase my chances of it being successful and me feeling happy, I need to find someone that I'm truly compatible with. So I need to find someone that matches what I need, not just what I want. Like the blonde hair might be great, but actually I need someone who can sit and listen to me when I come from work without telling me all about their day for 15 minutes and not listening to me. Whatever it is for you, you've got to figure it out. But that's really important. And it's absolutely critical for next relationships and to get that sorted out before you start dating again. Mm. As well as, so I would add to that, I do an exercise with my clients on my retreats or in my coaching clinic with called How to Design Your Ideal Partner, where you look at what you need versus what you want. And you can have both on the list. Also, you can come up with five, a maximum of five, must not haves. So, for example, if you know your relationship broke down because, I don't know, your partner was lazy or they smoked or, I don't know, maybe for you, you don't want kids, whatever it is, those five things, they're not just, they're not negotiable, they're non-negotiable and they are absolute deal breakers. And what that gives you is, um, it gives you like a safety net when you're dating Mm -hmm. because you know you're not going to get into relationships that aren't going to go anywhere in the long term, but you can make the decision yourself consciously. So, for example, Take an example of someone you had on your list smoking, for example, and on the first date, they got a cigarette out and started smoking. Now, for you, you can make the decision. You know that this is not going to be a long-term relationship because it's one of your five massive deal breakers. So 
It's not going to be a long-term relationship. So then you can make the decision. Is this Miss or Mr. Right now, or am I just going to get out of it? It doesn't have to be Mr. Right or Miss Right. It could just be Mr. or Miss Right now. But if you're consciously aware that it's not going to go anywhere, you're not going to fall head over heels and get your heart broken, which is why most people don't want to start dating because they're hurt. They don't want to get rejected. They don't want to get their heart broken. So by figuring some of these things out, you can kind of give yourself a safety net to know, look, I can go on a date and I'm not going to fall in love with the first person because I know what I want. And I know that if they show any of these signs which are totally incompatible with me, I'm out of there. Hmm. Of course, it doesn't get rid of all the risks, but it massively minimizes that risk of heartbreak and hopefully boost your confidence to get back out there and start dating again. Mm-hmm. And where the healthy, uh, where would you say kind of healthy boundaries come into that as well? Because surely that's kind of sort of slightly interlinked as well. So if you are kind of, uh, once uh, you're kind of back in the dating game, so to speak, if, if your thing is that you, I don't know, you go out on your bike every Sunday or you or you go, you go fishing it every, every other Saturday or something or whatever. And you know, the, the um the lady that you're seeing it may be that she goes out with her girlfriends on a thursday night for a couple of a couple of glasses of wine and she does uh i don't know salsa dancing on a monday night or whatever is it's kind of is it more do you find that when you kind of looking for that next long-term relationship it's it's being more respectful of those kind of boundaries and seeing how that kind of stuff fits together in the whole jigsaw puzzle of things as well well, again, it's give and take, isn't it? And I don't think you can expect things. I do think honesty is really important. And I think if you're hiding things because you're worried about it, so for example, I'm not going to say I've got this fishing trip coming up, or I'm not going to say that I've got this, I'm just going to just, just, oh, I can't make it home tonight. You know, all that, you've got to get rid of that. you just got to get rid of it. Because if they're not going to, if they're not going to be happy for you to do it, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. I don't know. No judging here. But for example, if they're like, no, I don't want you to go out, you go out all the time. And that's something that's important to you. Then you know up front, this is someone that's, that is not what I need. I need someone that's going to be okay for me to go out on a Friday night because they're self-sufficient and they're not going to cry and say, you don't love me. They're going to say, great, I can watch The Voice, which you hate. So you go, I'm going to box that out and watch The Voice or whatever. You know, I mean, it, that's what you want because that's what you need. But if you're like tiptoeing around going, oh, I don't know whether to mention that I'm going out on Friday, better not, better not. Oh, suddenly last night, oh, something's come up. No. Just be honest. If it's not going to work, you want to know that up, up front, early on, and then work through it. And then you decide with your boundaries. And it's up to you to maintain your boundaries, by the way. Because once you let your boundaries slip, it's very difficult to put them back up. Once you start going, okay, I won't go out on Fridays, suddenly turn around and say, I'm going out on Friday. It's going to be a much bigger deal. So you need to stick to it. If that's what's important to you, you need to stick to it. And you don't need to be aggressive about it. You can say, look, do you realize this is something that's, Super important to me. I love it. I love going out with my friends or I love fishing or Sunday afternoon. I just need a bit of time before I start work again. I love you. And if I need to show you that in a different way on another another time, I can. But is it okay mm. if we do this? Mm. You know, and then you can work through it. Because most you're hoping that this is a compatible relationship and you're working with two rational, logical people. If you pick one of them, then you're going to find out pretty soon if they don't like that and then you can get out. Yeah. But that's what I mean. You've got to be honest because yeah. if you're hiding this, you know, you might not realize the person you're in a relationship with. So it's yeah. important. Yeah. And I think that cycles quite nicely back into that also applies to relationships where, you know, where you are trying to recover a relationship that's kind of going to arrive for, for divorce. I see it a lot again. And, and the analogy I use with, some of the guys I speak to is that 
boundaries are kind of like the the gate that's been left open on a farmyard. It's it's very easy to leave them all open, but when you're trying to put all the animals back into the, where the pens where they should be, it is yeah. very 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 difficult. And what I've noticed is what I've noticed is that in kind of in in marriages, this sometimes does happen that in order to make it work someone's considered a boundary the other person's considered a boundary and all of a sudden the boundaries are kind of drops and then to get it back on a level uh, playing field you have to kind of establish those boundaries back in again and that is sometimes very very difficult if they've been kind of pushed back for over a period of time and it often causes a little little bit of resistance it kind of it finds its new level but it does carry quite a bit of resistance as Mm. you're and you and to use that analogy that is exactly what happens if you're trying to, you know, put animals back in a pen on a farmyard. And it's a, yeah. it's a crude analogy, but it, again, it does kind of work in people's head yeah. because you, they can picture how difficult that yeah. would be. And, and, you know, if you're in a toxic relationship, for example, where someone's treating you badly, quite often we, we shift our boundaries and we let them go. We leave the gate open, as you say, because we don't like conflict. We want to avoid conflict. So we go, oh, you know what? I'll suck it up. I'll get on with it. Yeah, fine. Okay, but actually, you've got to be really clear, and especially when you're going into a second relationship. If you've been in a situation like that, you've got to realise that by leaving those gates open, you are enabling bad behaviour. If you're enabling bad behaviour, then you're responsible for creating the monster that then erupts. So, you know, I'm not saying it's anyone's fault, because sometimes in toxic relationships, you don't see it coming, or you're just trying to be caring and empathetic. And it can be, you know, you can be taken advantage of. But actually, it's a really good lesson to learn that if you've done it once, it's very hard to shut that gate and go back. So best just to stick to your boundaries and work out what you want first. What is acceptable behavior in a relationship? What do you need from that relationship? Do you need a bit of freedom? I have clients, male clients who um, want to go cycling. I have one who, who lives abroad who every Saturday, he just goes off the whole day. And it works because his wife loves it because she likes having time on her own with the baby on a Saturday. So that works super well for them. So they get on super well. But, you know, if there was ever any conflict, he couldn't stay in that relationship. He didn't have that freedom. And she, but it works. Mm. You know, that doesn't work for everybody. The key to successful relationships really comes down to picking the right person to be in the relationship with. And if you're a square, square peg round, it's just not going to work. So you've got to set the game up to win. And if you've got a chance to do it a second time round, then this is worth the education and getting that clarity to make sure that you do understand what you're doing consciously and make those right decisions. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think troubles a lot of guys and and I think a lot of ladies as well is kind of, oh, what is what's what are my children going to think of this new partner of mine and you know how do I deal with that situation yeah. because it's bringing someone into the relationship. I know that causes kind of a lot a lot of kind of consternation. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that, you know, as when you split up, you're not, you're, when you're dating, that's for you. That's not dad with kids time, you dating, that's you time. So you need to keep that outside of the kids until you know that this is somebody that's going to, you know, that you want to introduce to them. But also, I would hope that on your list of ideal partner, You've got to you've got to think that they're going to get on with the kids. You know, there's somebody that has the values that would fit in well with your children. Because otherwise, again, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Um, because if they don't get on with your children, and they're obviously a huge part of your life, that's going to cause. So that's got to be part of your filtering system of dating. And it is worrying, but if you if you do it in a way where you know 
you speak to your kids and you communicate. You know, I've got a client at the moment who said, oh, <clears throat> I've got a friend popping in and the kids were old enough. They knew and then this person came in and it was all just got to be honest again. Just say, look, you know, I'm moving on and this is something that's important to me. But you've got to pick the time because all kids are different, all relationships are different. And I can tell you one other thing, all ex-wives are different. So they're all going to react differently to the situation. So maybe you need to speak to them first mm-hmm. and say, I've met someone, they're important to me. This is going to be really super tricky, but please come and talk about it over a coffee because I want to introduce them to the kids. Because if you put the kids in the middle and you haven't told the mum that you're introducing a new woman, I can tell you now, I spend a lot of time mopping up the damage from those situations. So think about it beforehand. And I know it's none of her business. I know that, you know, but ultimately you've got to put the kids first. What is best for your child? Best to make sure that everyone's okay with it. Um, If you can't do that, and there's lots of situations where you can't go to the ex-wife because you don't have that relationship, then you have to do it with your kids in the way that only you will know. So how do you best communicate to your kids? Maybe they're different ages, different personalities. You might need to communicate separately to them Mm. but you know you're entitled to be happy you're entitled to have a life and if you think this is the right person and you want to bring them into that family unit then great but do it at the pace that matches the kid not your pace your child's pace and if you can get into their psyche and work with them it would be a lot smoother than trying to force something on them because you're ready because they Mm. work at different different and they may not have even thought about you meeting someone else Mm. And you don't know the conversations that a mum may have had with them about you eating someone else and you've got to get through all that first yeah yeah and kids are so matter of fact about stuff as well when they sort of when they like yeah. like your story like your story from earlier on in our discussion stuff that they are very matter of fact about about things and it sounds from what you're saying is you're look kind of when you're discussing it with the with your ex it's more out of a position of courtesy rather than a a position of asking for permission too, if that makes any sense. Oh, it's not yeah. asking permission, but it's doing the right thing by the kids. Yeah. So it's saying, mummy knows. Yeah. I, obviously, it depends on the age of the kids. You know, if they're very little and it's a lot easier to introduce new people and they can be friends for a while and then, you know, and, and sometimes when they're younger, you have to have the kids around more than you probably, or earlier in the relationship than you probably would want to because they're always there or whatever. Um, but, you know, I just think if you can... Just, I, I just see the damage done when when mums and dads aren't told that their kids are meeting someone else and suddenly they find out or they find out on a text. And it's just, it's going to be, that's going to be hard information for anyone because if you think about it, and this is where the shoe shifting, empathetic role, where the kindness and respect and give and take comes in still. Yeah, if someone's going to introduce so your dad and someone said, right, your ex is suddenly going to introduce her new boyfriend, so it's a new man into their life. And then they suddenly say, oh, we met mummy's new boyfriend. For you, that's a jolt for so many different reasons. One, you didn't maybe know. Two, you know, maybe there's some sort of, you still care about them maybe, or maybe there's some unresolved issues that are going on. And also now there's the fear of, well, who is he? What is he a nice guy? Is he not a nice guy? Is he going to be good to my kids? Is he going to care? Who is she introducing them to? You know, again, there's all those things. So there's ways of doing it. They're going to make it smoother for yourself. And you're going to know what they are as an adult. And there's ways that are going to make it a lot harder. And it's about taking time to think it out and just discuss it. And you might decide, sod it, I'm just going to do this. In which case, that's your choice. Well, adults, you make your own decisions, but then you've got to live with the consequences. Or it might be you can't talk to your ex because she's such a nightmare that she's not going to communicate. She's going to hate anyone. So you've got to make the call, but you've got to think about it. 
You've got to think about it. You can't just do it. You've got to think about it from their perspective, from your perspective, and from your kids' perspective. What is going to make it easier? Because if mummy knows and mummy is okay with it, the kid's going to be more likely to accept them into their life. Mm. If mummy's ranting and raging, maybe you can't do anything about it. It's going to cause a bit of tension. So how can you dial that down? Yeah, That's just thinking it through. Yeah, yeah. So it's, so it's really kind of been attuned and empathetic to again what we touched upon back at the beginning of the conversation what the out you know what is going to be the end result of how i embark upon this situation and how you know how i'm going to deal with this and stuff and that it's excellent it's really good we've covered such a massive amount in the time that we've been speaking it's been a rip roaring ride through it and i really appreciate you coming on i um some people will think why am I having a divorce coach on to speak about a divorce on a podcast which is about dads and kind of family orientated? And the reason for that is because uh, marriages don't always turn out as people think they're going to turn out and they do often end. We've spoken about the statistics at the beginning of our conversation today and I think there is a massive, massive amount of value in knowing how to kind of negotiate this territory because I think it's just, it's a situation where, you know, I've seen it with friends and, you know, friends and relatives in my own life. It is a massively, massively lonely place to be and it's not a place that a lot of people can relate to and people are very well-meaning and they and they say things that they think are going to make you feel better but they don't actually make you feel better and stuff. And so I think, you know, any help that can be given and and i would really urge anyone listening to really check out sarah's social media feed youtube and particularly the instagram videos because there is again a ton of value in there if you're going through this right now because there's lots of very small snippets that she talks about that expand upon a lot of the things that we've dealt with in this conversation today but they're very nuanced things that you can only understand if you've been through it yourself and that you're dealing with people on a daily basis who are going through it, which is what which is what Sarah is. So I want to thank you very much for the work that you're doing and for, for, for speaking to me today. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you, Sarah, and find out about what you're doing? Uh, well, visit my website, saradavison.com. Um, and also, Sarah Davison Divorce Coach is my Instagram feed. And I do videos, like you said. So if you've got questions... Specific to you that you want me to answer, I can do a video on it. So that's a lot of people will email me, Sarah at saradavison.com, with um, a situation. Say, please, can you just do a short video on this? And then I'll do one and uh, post it up on Instagram. So you can get answers to your questions for free and I'll put them up. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably the best. I've got a retreat coming up as well. So if you are going through a breakup, I do breakup recovery retreats, which are two days immersive with me going through all my techniques so instead of coming to coaching sessions with me you know one-on-one you can come in a small group and we go through everything in two days so that's on my website as well so there's lots of ways that i i give information i've got two best-selling books as well uncoupling and the split and they're both available on amazon uh so yeah hopefully that will help you and um show you that there is life after divorce and uh life can be better than it ever was before so it's not all doom and gloom it can be super positive too excellent excellent i love it i love it and i'm going to ask you one last question before i send you on your merry way uh sarah what is okay. it what is the thing we talk about um vision action and meaning at gilda dads a lot and there is a reason there's a good reason for that 
what would you say is the thing that gives you the most meaning in your life? Oh, definitely making a difference for people. Absolutely. People come in to my coaching clinic and they'll be upset and devastated or turn up for my retreats or, you know, phone calls or whatever. And then the the transformation and the hope that you can give people is, uh, yeah, it's, it's so rewarding. I love what I do because it helps so many people. It's a fabulous job. I train people to do this too. So if you want to become a breakup and divorce coach, then I have a training program for that too. Um, that's growing so fast. Over 50 coaches around the world now. So yeah, it's a movement. We're helping people and it's great. It feels great. Excellent. It's, 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 it's really fantastic just to hear the difference that you're kind of making to people and, and really kind of carrying through what is just like a, like a, a horrible time and taking them mm. out the other end to really kind of grow themselves and be that person they want to be. It's fabulous. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you very much, Shara, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye. I think the word divorce strikes fear into the hearts of most people on so many different levels. The reason for that is because that it has so many negative connotations, not least the aspect of having failed at something that you've set out so hard to try and make uh, succeed. And I think no one really wants to find themselves in a position of having to get divorced and it's extremely tough on so many levels. I've had friends and relatives that have got divorced and I've seen the uh, turmoil that they've gone through both in sorting out the practical side of things but really the effect that it has on their identity as a whole. And identity is something that was very much a theme of the conversation that I had with Sarah and how you form your own identity has a massive, massive aspect uh, on things both in terms of your marriage itself and also coming out of the marriage and uh, finding yourself going through the divorce divorce situation. Sarah brings a really fresh perspective having been through divorce herself and I think gives a lot of hope that there is indeed life after divorce. My key takeaways from today's conversation were that marriages can be saved provided both of you want to put in the necessary work to change the relationship dynamic and it can be done there is information out there that enables people to uh, put into place the different uh, changes that can change the dynamic and obviously we discussed Gary Chapman's book the five love languages but there are a number of other different books that you can uh, research that you can really put some really practical steps that are helpful into action the other takeaway was that really how the small things that you can do at the outset of your divorce can set the tone for further down the line. Certain things like getting on good terms with with your spouse, making sure that you are uh, keeping the children involved in the decision-making process and what's happening. We touched upon a number of different little tactics that you can use to try and smooth the, uh, smooth the path towards leading a independent life further on down the line so there's a number of tactics we delved into during our conversation but the the, my key takeaway on that is that the the small things really do make a difference in setting the tone as to how uh, future relations are going to go forward between yourself and your spouse and also also for your children's sake the third thing that i took away from the conversation today was really again I'm going to keep coming back to this is the subject subject of identity and why being fully independent in your own identity can be one of the biggest assets coming out of divorce particularly when going into a new marriage I think when we embark upon uh, marriage 
maybe our first marriage, we, I wouldn't say we change our identity, but there sometimes for a lot of people, it can mean that their identity is changed, irreversibly changed. And I think a big part of coming out of a long-term relationship and going through divorce and coming out the other side is really uh, re, re-engaging that relationship with yourself and, and being fully independent in, t- in terms of what you like, what you don't like, what interests you, what doesn't interest you and how you want to spend your time and what you're like what you want your life to look like for you. So that was my third takeaway from our conversation with Sarah. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah. The best way to find out about her is on her website which is saradavison.com which is s a r a d a v i s o n and that's .com. She's also on most of the main social media platforms Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And her handle on those platforms is at Sarah Davison, Divorce Coach. Uh, the only exception being Twitter, which is SDD Divorce Coach. So you can check out her content on there. There's some really fantastic and useful videos on both her Instagram and YouTube channels. So I would thoroughly recommend checking those out. Um, her book is also available on Amazon. So you can check that out if you want to find out a bit more about that. Uh, that's uncoupling how to survive and thrive after breakup and divorce. So there's her book. And the only other thing that I would mention that we mentioned in this episode was the organisation called resolution.org.uk. On there, you can find uh, different lawyers in your area, which are trained in how to adopt a more conciliatory approach to divorce so like we said that is a aspect of divorce which is very important in terms of making sure that the uh, communications between yourself and your uh, wife are conciliatory so there you have it there is all the uh, links for uh, Sarah so if you want to reach out to me or reach out to Sarah about what we've discussed on today's episode uh, we'd be we'd really love to hear from you tell us what you liked what you didn't like what uh, questions you may have and we would really like to uh, find out what you thought about today's show and as always if you've missed any of the links that I've just mentioned the best way to check them out is to go to www.guildofdads.com and they are all on the tab marked episodes if you want to hear more discussions just like this one today The best way to do it is by subscribing on your podcast player of choice, be that iTunes, Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you subscribe, then you will uh, get to find out the podcast episodes that are coming up each week. They'll just pop up on your podcast player of choice. So that is the best way to hear more discussions like the one today. You can drop us a rating and review. That would be very much appreciated. But the biggest compliment that you can give to me is by just sharing this episode out however you want to, whether that be on WhatsApp, Messenger or text. The more information that can be shared out, it's really important. Some of the information can be truly life-changing for dads that you may know. So if you can do that, that would be really fantastic and I would really appreciate it. You can get involved with the discussion on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter using the handle at Guild of Dads and check out our Facebook group to join the Guild. If you like what you hear and you want to email me, I love to hear from listeners. So ping me an email, joe at guildofdads.com. Let me know what you like, what you don't like and who you would like me to interview even. I'd love to know. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about what we're doing at Guild of Dads, then head over to www guildofdads.com 
And in the meantime, live a life of vision, action and meaning. <laughs>